Valentine's edition of the Splatterhouse podcast. We're your hosts, Ryan and Sean. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, a 1981 classic known as My Bloody Valentine. One of my favorite slasher films of all time. It's also one of Quentin Tarantino's favorites as well, I've heard. That's fucking ironic. I loved it before I ever knew that he like loved it that much, so... I, I know yeah. you were already you were already going for the throat with that one, so <laughs> of course I have yeah. to bring up Tarantino. Um, yeah, so this was one of those movies up? that um, it was on cable when I was really young, and I think I discussed it before on one of the other previous podcasts where, like, I was watching it and it was the opening scene, and I, I remember that, and then. Like I, it, it took me like 15 years where I saw the movie again and it was like, oh, that was that movie. And I got to rewatch it and like, I, I really loved it. I think I probably saw it when I was like five or six, like the opening scene had to change a channel. So I just remember the scream and then the, the, my bloody Valentine thing coming in after she gets that pickaxe put through her chest and everything. And yeah, so I've got kind of a long history with this movie over, what is it? 45 years almost something like that. Uh, so it came out in 81, so about 40, I think the movie's like 42 years old now. Dude, we are, like, can you imagine here in like eight years, all the 50th anniversaries and shit are going to start with all these 80s movies and it's just going to wipe our wallets clean? We should just start putting money away now. Yeah, for real. <clears throat> but, I mean, like, I've had kind of a history with this movie. Um, I think the first time I saw it, I was maybe like 15 or 16. I had that MGM um release that came out with the uncut version for the first time ever at the time uh because for years you could only see the theatrical version and now of course over the years uh, scream factory has put out the uh, collector's edition that they have which comes with both the uh theatrical cut and the uncut version which the uncut version in that one uh they have great like greatly improved the yep. quality of the um film because if you watch like the old mgm version I mean, you could tell instantly because it was so faded and it had kind of like that orangish tinge that a lot of old films get after they've been exposed for a long time. Um, but they've cleaned up a lot of that. There's kind of one scene in the Shout Factory release, I think, that has still kind of that orange tinge to it, but it's not as bad as it used to be. Well, that, yeah, that a lot of that I think is just their source materials where we were just talking about the Silent Night, Deadly Night where I was watching that on Vudu and it's the unrated cut and they haven't been able to properly go back and restore that footage that they're adding in. And um, Scream Factory did that for the My Bloody Valentine because I had the version that you're talking about and the version before that and the version before that. And um, yeah, I watched my Scream Factory one one time. I got the, the special edition that came with like the extra case, the extra slip cover and everything. And I have I the steel book now too. So I have the version after that even um, pathetically, but yeah, they went through and they cleaned up a lot and there's a huge difference in the amount of gore and um, the kill scenes and stuff between the original. If you've never seen the uncut or director's cut of it, I mean, it's worth tracking down because we were talking about it yesterday when we were on the phone together that, there's like a the scene where the minor harry warden kills the girl on the shower thing where like the guy comes in the ginger in the vest as i called him um and he's crying through like the rest of the movie <laughs> but um when he walks in he just looks and there's a head there you never see the kill first of all 
And then when he walks in, you just see that the head is there and there's water coming out, but it's really drawn out in the, uh, in the actual director's cut or unrated or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yeah. It's just called the uncut is what I refer to it as. Um, you kind of get the same thing too with the, uh, bartender who I guess used to work in the mine, uh, his death scene a little bit where he sets up that fake, uh, Harry warden in the closet and opens the door like numerous times. And it raises its like pickaxe. I know. I love it too. Cause he's just like hacking and acting <laughs> like, ha ha ha. Yeah. Like he's like, I'm going to scare the piss out of these people, you know? And, um, next thing you know, uh, he opens it like a fourth or fifth time. And that's when he gets the pickaxe through like the bottom of his jaw and it comes out and gets his eye, which is one of the sickest kills in my opinion in that whole yeah. movie. Which, while he's setting that up, I remember, like, finally seeing this movie. Like, I, I think I took, like, a few years where I didn't watch it, and then I was watching it after watching all of the true crime shit that's on TV and stuff. And you hear about these people, you know, doing pranks and stuff where they accidentally kill somebody. And I'm, like, thinking, you know, how easy that could have been for that thing to go up through someone. You know? And he's all laughing because he's, like, the, um, the Ralph character of the movie, the bartender is, where all these horror movies from that era had to have the old man that was warning everybody, you know, you should shut, you should probably shut up because he's going to come get you. You're all doomed. And that was his, uh, his whole thing. Speaking of uh, Friday 13th, you happen to have brought up um, something we talked about last night too. So I've always thought watching this movie that this film has to take place in the same time, like frame or universe or whatever as Friday 13th part two, just the fact that, the movie starts Thursday, February 12th. And the next day, Friday the 13th, which would be when part two takes place. Because they both came out the same year. They came out in 1981. Um, they also are owned by Paramount. So, I mean, it makes sense. The only thing, though, that would kind of deter that, I guess, is the fact that, of course, this movie came out in February. And Friday the 13th came out in May. But, who knows? Um huh. But yeah, I just thought that that was kind of an interesting coincidence. Yeah, and I brought up the, there's always the Saturday the 14th connection as well, which I hate the movie, but you know, it's just kind of funny when you were saying it like that since like what I went to, got to add another horror movie element to it. So, right. Yeah. Cool. So how have you been, Sean? We haven't uh, talked much. I mean, it's been since <sighs> the last time we recorded. What have you been into? You been watching anything good? Um. Yeah, I, I haven't gotten any real records or anything lately. I've been buying a lot of metal stuff, actually. Um, nice. I think I've been scored out, and anybody who follows me on Facebook knows that I'm going through my record collection A to Z, the the film scores, and then doing like reviews. I'm trying to get better at – that was my New Year's resolution was to get better at writing about this stuff um, for, you know, for my – Scarefuller records and everything and those records are finally starting to roll in it took some of them over a year um in the last two i got never hike alone in is finally in stock and then uh before and after the bomb by antani maive is here which is like is seriously such a great listen it's um he calls it a love letter to like john carpenter and freezy and um goblin stuff like that and it, it really is like you listen to it you can hear all those elements in it and it's a score for a film that's, it, it is, I, I can't advertise it as that, but I can say it here where it's, it's a score for a film for a studio that wanted so much money to use the um, actual title of the film that 
um, Lakeshore Records, who originally owns this, that we got permission to do the vinyl from, um, they they refused to pay the amount of money, so he had to go through and rename it. Now it's just called Original Soundtrack of Before and After the Bomb, which it actually is a film score that's out there that some people have seen and some people haven't from a very popular independent um, New York film studio. So, And then I also got uh, The Furies in, which is that amazing Australian horror um, survival horror slasher film that like I, I we fell in love with when we watched it is so good and the kills are so inventive and everything and I mean I had a blast just writing up the little sales blurb for that you know which didn't take me as long as it used to because I've been doing it daily now so um, wow. other than that I've been watching the only other real thing I tried sitting through that skin the other night we made it seven minutes in nothing happened so I'm like, I kept hearing, well, if you make it 15 minutes in, you'll, you'll, you know, it'll make it easier. It didn't. We fast forwarded from seven minutes to 15 minutes, waited another minute. And there was a shot of a fucking closet. Nothing happened. And we shut it off. So, um, I would have rather been watching the new episode of the last of us, which if any listeners are not watching the last of us, including Ryan, it'll, it's worth your HBO max for a month or two just to get it because it really is that fucking good. So that's about it. What, I, what have you been up to? So other than uh, work as usual, um, there have been actually a few movies that I forgot that I have watched uh, recently. So shout out to uh, synapse films creature from black Lake. It is a Bigfoot movie. So if you're into like uh, the legend of boggy Creek and stuff like that, I would highly recommend this movie. Um, hey, I heard a rumor about Legend of Boggy Creek, by the way, since you're yeah. on it, because everyone is always trying to get me to release that on vinyl and everything. And they have Blu-rays and stuff available. Of like the, I heard that the guys from Duck Dynasty bought all of that. So that I, I'm not, I'm not heard. bullshitting. I've heard it from like three people now that they bought the rights and like the masters and everything to do with that film. So I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard it now from a bunch of people. So, huh? Well, last so I stop. heard it was, it was owned by the uh, creator or film, his daughter. Yeah. His daughter had owned it for years. That's the only person I know of. Yep. And she, um, she'd done blu-rays and stuff and she's talked to every record label on the planet because they have the master recordings and everything to release and wanted to do vinyl release but the terms are so crazy that and i I, from what i heard she's not really easy to deal with so yeah i've heard that too or Um, uh, i guess she's a nice person just with the she doesn't understand the record business so she doesn't understand what a lot of it was you know what it would entail and how much money it really costs so right okay um couple other movies i've checked out one this is known um out of the u.s as dead kids but to most people it is a strange behavior i finally watched this for the first time it's a very uh interesting film to say the least uh just the fact that it's got this whole bizarre experiments and these teenagers getting killed and stuff it was I, it's one i gotta rewatch just to kind of understand it a little bit more but uh, what drew me to that film was for a while I'd heard, um, I want to say it was someone in our Facebook group, Sean, that kept talking about, oh, for years I'd love to see Strange Behavior released on vinyl because the music's by Tangerine Dream. Yep. And um, finally it got released, what was it, last year by uh, Greyface Records. So, uh, Ter- Terrorvision put it out. It's, yeah, um, Greyface. They yeah, did it for uh, Record Store Day. 
Yep. And uh, this is actually now out of print, this Blu-ray. So I was lucky enough to grab one right before it went out of print. I think I paid like 12 bucks for it. Isn't it amazing how the, the, the three letters OOP will take something from normally $10 to $90 on eBay overnight? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, and then this is something I've been kind of watching to sort of get prepared for uh, next month's episode if uh, we continue to go with like what we planned. Um, this is The Killing of America. Have you ever seen this, Sean? No. So it's a documentary about um, violence in America, everything from senseless violence, mass shootings, cold-blooded murders. Um, it's got stuff with um, like famous serial killers such as like Ted Bundy, Charles Manson, Ed Kemper. Uh, it's got like the Ohio State um, shooting that happened like during the Vietnam War and all kinds of other crazy um moments but there is actual like legit graphic footage in this so if you are squeamish i would recommend not watching that did someone put that out recently or i saw it was Uh, a dvd so it has been put out on blu-ray as well i got the dvd because i bought it for like three bucks on sale i think and versus the blu-ray which is like 20 and i was just like i don't care for three bucks i mean i'd rather Save myself seventeen dollars. Uh, it was yeah. put up by Severin a while back. Um, and then last thing, I got this really cool um, box set about a month ago or so. Um, I won this off an auction, and it's the Killer Dames uh, box set. It's got the night Evelyn came out of the grave yeah. and the Red Queen kills seven yep. times. Which the Red, I watched. Yeah, the Red Queen is great. Oh, it's amazing. I was watching that again. Um, I haven't checked out The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave yet, but I've heard it's really, really good. But I mainly got this for the Red Queen Kill Seven Times. And then what's crazy is I won this in this like a lot auction. I got this, The Exorcist, Extended Cut on Blu-ray, uh, Indiana Jones series, um, one through like The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull on Blu-ray. Uh, Fuck that movie. I know. <laughs> Steve Smith can kiss my ass. Um, yeah, the cheeky bastards podcast. He declared that that was like other than Raiders of the Lost Ark that the Indy Four was like the best of the series. And I almost hit another car in traffic when I was listening to it. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's not that great. Um, and also, like, I got like the four disc Blu-ray of like Texas Chainsaw, not the one like with the big. Uh, Bertha, whatever the semi truck, oh, like Black Maria, like the yeah Maria like or Maria. whatever Maria, yeah. yeah. Um, it's the one like with the sliding door or whatever from the movie. Got that. Plus, I got the Criterion release of Scanners with it, which I think that one's out of print um, for like forty bucks for all this stuff. So that's a good that's deal. The um, the score for that Red Queen is so good. I heard that on that. Uh, Puara, I think is how you pronounce it. That Italian thing that Cam Sugar put out. It's like a double record of like one or two tracks from all of these rare um, Italian horror films and stuff. And I, I heard that and I was like, what the fuck is this? And I had to go search it out. And for people that don't know, um, Arrow Video about, I think two to three times a year, if you watch on iTunes, they will do, it's like the best sale of all time for digital content where they'll do all of their films are two ninety nine, and I picked up like every one of those. I've got 
every time they do this, like I just keep filling in my collection because they've kind of stopped releasing as much as they used to. I mean, most of it's shit like Tremors and stuff I already have, but um, that was those two were movies that I grabbed, and both of them are extremely good. That's a cool box set. So, yeah, it really is. I like it. So, did you uh, uh, did you pick up Ted Bundy as well? So I have not yet. Now I picked up uh, Killer's Delight from that uh, Vinegar Syndrome uh, Ten for Ten sale that they were doing, yeah. and um, it's kind of like. I think it was filmed in like 78. It was a made for TV uh, movie and it kind of has like some Ted Bundy elements I heard in it. It was kind of loosely inspired by Bundy. So hmm. that, the Bundy that they put out, um, th- that's a very good like version of that whole story and stuff. I mean, some of the stuff that's been coming out lately is, is good too, but that one was, there's some cool stuff in that one that, you know, is very unsettling to watch. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think the only thing I grabbed was the resurrection out of all those sales. I'm, I'm in those groups on Facebook where like they've got like, you know, people are getting boxes of like 20 Blu-rays and one guy got like 50 of them. <laughs> I'm like, what'd you get? Uh, resurrection. <laughs> That's all I bought. So, And I waited till it was on sale. Like, I'm not going to I love the movie, but I'm not spending 30 35 bucks on it just because it has a cool slip cover. Like I waited till it was 10, one of the $10 titles and grabbed it. Mm-hmm. Have you watched that yet? Mm-mm. I haven't yet. <laughs> I, uh, I need to though. I heard it's a really good movie to watch around Easter time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, probably the greatest of all of the seven ripoffs that happened after seven was released in 95, where a lot of people went and they did the, serial killer and the police procedural trying to find him and stuff just like the movie seven. And this one's got a little bit of a, there's a little bit of an edge to it. Like there's, I remember the first time I saw this, I was like, Holy fuck. Like probably like 10 times through the movie where they take the kills to like the next level on a couple of them, you know? And like, mm-hmm. I love the fact like Leland Orser is like reacting in, in, in that way. He's just like, I can't believe there's a guy in there with no fucking head. Like he's like freaking out on camera. So it's kind of a cool, um, very very cool film done by the guys that did highlander so yeah with the david crow huh go ahead well what were you yeah the guys that did highlander did it i think there's if i remember right there's even a david cronenberg playing a preacher um like cameo in it huh so yeah he plays um christopher lambert's preacher so that's pretty cool so we haven't mentioned the fact that we have a special guest on this episode. Yeah, we do. Um, he's been sitting listening to us bullshit and didn't say anything the whole time. So, <laughs> so I guess we should uh, bring him in, um, ladies and gentlemen. Ghoulish Gary Pullin. So welcome, Gary. We appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, so the first question we were going to ask is how did you get started and where did the, the ghoulish part of your, your moniker come from? Um, so basically the question was how, how I got started and where did the ghoulish nickname come from? Sorry. Just, yeah. just for a second. Um, sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I got like, um, my first design experience or art experience working full time with, uh, within design and artwork was with a company called future brand. And that was 
um, like a design house in um, Toronto. So when I graduated uh, graphic design, I moved to Toronto, you know, hit the pavement looking for a job. I, I, you know, got interviewed at several places and I landed at a packaging firm and they did mostly like beer labels and, you know, uh, food industry labels and, you know, uh, graphic design for uh, medical products, like you name it, mostly on shelf stuff though. Um, and, um, so I got my start there basically and, and worked with some really terrific, like art directors there and designers that were older than me and more experienced and it kind of opened my eyes aware, you know, artwork could take me, you know, and what, you know, um, what all this sort of meant. And, um, so I did that for a while and then that was in Toronto. And at the same time, um, there was a magazine there called Rumorg Magazine. And uh, this was like 1998, 1999. And uh, I met them too at a screening because I was always a horror fan my whole life, always in the film and counterculture, right? Pop culture, counterculture, right. really into all the, the music and all that stuff. And um, so I meet uh, the, the owners of the magazine at a screening um, of a horror film in, in Toronto. And I said, I got to work with you guys. Like I had sort of just landed this uh, job uh, at uh, the design firm, but, you know, I still was hungry for more and always wanted to work on the side. And I literally had no social life for like the first part of my, I guess, career, you want to say? I mean, I I said yes to, to jobs on the outside of work as well. So I was moonlighting as well as working during the day and just because I wanted to work and I wanted to get my artwork out there and I was... I was young and hungry and, you know, and, um, so after I met the guys at Rumorg, that changed my, my life really. I, uh, you know, I got to work with them and instantly clicked with the editor there, the owner there. And, um, before I knew it, I was working with them on the side. I still had my design job, but they said, as soon as we can match your salary, which then wasn't a lot in Toronto, it wasn't a lot, that's for sure. Um, we can hire you time and so the magazine was slowly creeping up you know it was doing very well um entertainment magazines movie magazines at the time there wasn't that many so it really kind of filled a void and horror fans really picked up on it and i grew up reading horror magazines i grew up on famous monsters and fangoria and deep red and tales from the crypt i understood publications i understood uh, I understood it like before I even started working with them, you know, to a degree. Obviously, I learned so much in publishing once I really got into it. But the basics I understood, I, I you know, as coming from a horror fan, I think that really kind of like uh, helped the magazine in a way too. Um, just because, you know, we all knew our shit, you know, going in. Um, and so that was, you know, a great experience. And I did that for, I don't know, 12 12 to 15 years anyway in there. Like I know like at least 12 years full-time, I was a full-time employee. I was there every day, working every day, doing the monthly magazine. And, uh, and then before that, it was about two or three years of volunteering, you know, just showing up at events. I still had my day job at the design firm, but I was really actively getting involved in the film community. And I guess not really involved in the film community, but more just showing up at for, for events and screenings and, and so you you meet a lot of interesting people in Toronto, you know. I mean, there's a lot of really uh, it's 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 um, 
you know, there's a lot of movie productions filmed up there and there's a, you know, it's, it's a huge city. So, um, you know, it's got its own history with, with, uh, with film and the music. And, uh, and so I just sort of met all these key people there, I guess. And, um, and then, yeah, it was time to, to leave the magazine. And that was about over 10 years ago now, probably 11, 12 years ago. Wow. Uh, which is crazy to think. Um, I was able to just sort of, you know, sort of just ramp into a freelance um, situation. And that's what I've been doing since. And uh, it's, it's been going really great. That's awesome. So I don't know. I felt like I did a lot of talking there. No, Sorry. no, it's perfectly fine. So who, who gave you the name then? Well, it was sort of a name that I got back in the day, like it, it, the early, early days of Rumark. So I, I don't know. It's felt like around like that 2000, 2001. Um, I, I don't remember. It was like sort of like a, an editor kind of, they just started calling me ghoulish Gary or ghoulish. Okay. Um, and it kind of, to me, it kind of stuck, I guess, because at the time in the nineties, I was really into like, um, you know, uh, Grizz Grimley and, uh, and, and, uh, Dirty Donnie and, uh, other artists that have sort of taken on the Piz, you know, sort of these yeah. lowbrow artists that have taken on like, a a moniker you know, so to speak. And, uh, and just the word ghoulish kind of matched my style, I, I guess. I don't know. It just oh, kind it, of felt... it does for sure. Yeah. Well, at first it felt really silly. Like, you know, it, it did, it was just kind of like a nickname. And then I thought, well, I'm in the horror genre. I need a name. I need, I need a brand. I need something. And that just kind of stuck. So I just, I've been playing between just the word ghoulish and ghoulish Gary. So, um, I own the brand, like in you know, I own Ghoulish Gary, so it's my company name. And so, uh, when I when I quit, I you know I, I registered myself as a business, and I got that all going. And you know, so it's one of those things where yeah, I, it's um, it's just sort of like kind of stuck around, and and I think it's easy to remember sometimes. Um, but at the same time, there was a there was a time during like during the last few years where I felt like it was kind of pigeonholing me a little bit too right like hey there he's the horror guy but i do want to do more than horror i right. enjoyed i you know i love all genres of, of music and movies yeah i but, saw you uh, done like that et collab recently yeah thanks and and something like that was amazing to get and to that was a really good gig and and it was great working with zabby on that and um because it's still in my wheelhouse in terms of I guess I, I've sort of established that I love retro stuff and that seems to be the thing that excites me most is, you know, sort of like seventies, eighties, kind of in that pocket. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the films of, you know, universal monsters and the 1950s atomic stuff. I love all genres. I mean, working at the magazine really kind of, you know, you really went down the eras and you really went down the avenues and, and I learned so much about, you know, different types of horror films and music and subgenres of this and that, you know, uh, but I have my favorites and I think all fans do, they have their pocket, right? Like um, mm -hmm. they have what they like. And, uh, and for me, it's, it's, it's mad magazine, you know, it's, it's, it's eighties horror films. It's, it's Stuart Gordon. It's George Romero. It's John Carpenter. It's, you know, Wes Craven, even the nineties, I'm, I'm in the nineties too. I, you know, I, that was, you know, uh, I was young in the nineties. Yeah. So I, I, all of that stuff, uh, you know, just accumulates 
over time and all those influence kind of, you know, sort of bake into to, to what you want to do and what you're doing. And uh, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, just right. seems to just seems to be where I like to to be. So what was the first piece of art that you think kind of put your name and your brand out there that sticks out the most? Man, um, well, I'm going to I'm going to talk after Rue Morgue because, you know, obviously Rue Morgue, I got my start there and I'm forever yeah. grateful for that. Right. But I would think when I went um, when I went freelance, I, I felt like I, you know, I, I hit the ground running a little bit. I mean, I there are I it's hard to narrow down one and I, I'm going to narrow down two and, and, and we're going to talk soundtracks right now um, because I think we both we all love like you know are coming from a soundtrack slant here yes um so the first the first one or two and i i can't i don't know what one it was but it was reanimator and they live uh, the, i did those two around the same time and i don't i think it was the same year i did those two and when they were released you know, it was obviously Waxworks first release. I don't, I don't think it was Death Waltz first release at all. Uh, but it was one of the early ones. Yeah. And when those two came out, they were, you know, two companies that are really getting their shit going. Right. And I'm just the artist, you know, I'm trying to get my shit going too. And I felt like, wow, I, I love doing them. I was like, that was so much fun. They were both awesome to work with. This is what I need to be doing. I need to be doing artwork like this where, you know, um, film inspired artwork that sort of uh, I want to do fresh takes on. And so those two sort of from then on, I've been chasing that dragon since. Um, I would say Creepshow, uh, Waxworks Creepshow was another one. Um and I guess if I want to throw in another one, and these are, I'm not trying to pick favorites here, but just right. ones that sort of seem to get a lot of attention and and made me feel like I was doing something uh, right. The Monster Squad with Mondo, yes, was another cool. one where I was like, man, that, that was just that one was so, so unique. Fun. It was so unique the way it looked like nothing else that had been done at that time. So, yeah. well, thanks a lot, man. Thanks, and. Um, <laughs> Because there is a recipe to everything. There is a recipe to horror, uh, uh, movie uh, movie posters because they're a certain size. And there's a recipe to album covers because they're 12 by 12. And so you have those perimeters to work in. And, yeah, I'm always trying to shove in stuff that might not fit, you know, or or make it fit or just do something cool that, you know, you're looking at a square, but, like, what can we do, like, in there? You know, yeah, it can look like a movie poster and have – negative space but you can also fill up every little inch with detail which is what i tried to do with the monster squad and all i was doing was mimicking those classified ads from the monster magazines that i saw when i was a kid and i just took those two things together and that's kind of what i try to do is in a way i i sort of like to take something like uh like the monster squad clubhouse and classified ads and there's your design or at least there's your inspiration there's your idea and yeah. then i just hammer it out from there and uh, so i guess i mean uh, i don't really see i don't know what puts puts me on the map because i 
it's up to, I guess, the listeners and the, and, the, and the people that buy the artwork and the people that hire me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know who decides that. Um, right. One of the but, first things I, I was buying those records and didn't, I was like, didn't matter to me who was doing the art. The art was cool. The one that I noticed that you did was that poster for Creep Show. That mm-hmm. I was like, who the fuck did that? And then <laughs> I ran, I ended up, Jim Lesniak sold me a creep show and you were right down the road. And that's when I met you that day and everything. And like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like I've told you that story, like you gave me some pins and then I went and made pins of my own because of those pins and everything. So like, that's that what awesome. I, I saw that poster and it was like, who is that? And then that's where it led me to like knowing who you were and everything. So that was so the first yeah, big yeah. Gary art. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so. cool. That's cool. I mean, certainly, you know, working with Mondo and companies like that and, you know, Scuzzles, Gray Matter. I mean, I could go on and, you know, all of these people I love and, and because they have, you know, they've, they've, they've said, Hey, we like what you do. Like, can you do this for us? You know, I mean, I'm forever grateful to anyone that wants to work with me. And um, so I, I, you know, and I, I, I just, you know, you're in the batter's cage, just trying to, you know, trying to hit this stuff out. Right. So, uh, what are some? What are your top three favorite horror films? Man, that's that's always a tough one too, eh? Like, um, you know, it fluctuates. But today, uh, as of this moment, I would say um, *Creature from the Black Lagoon* has always been up there. It's, you know, I I love it. I, when I was a kid, it was the scariest uh, of the Universal monsters for me. Like it was. I loved all of them, but that one really, plus the design of the the creature suit, you know, do a whole podcast on it. Right. I mean, it's incredible. The whole movie, the soundtrack is great. You know, there's a monster with a theme song. You know what I mean? Like he's got his own, he's got his own theme song. (laughs) And then, uh, I love, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, a hundred percent like that movie. I saw it when I was really, really, really way too young to see it. Probably. And we watched it on a really shitty TV. And it was a TV that had a handle on it that you could take camping. And it was wow. my friend's, it was a black and white, just little shitty TV, but it still scared the hell out of us. So we were watching it, you know, in his basement, whatever, and we had the lights off and just terrified and knew we weren't supposed to be watching it. And that was another one. And then, geez, you know, a third one, I mean, it's like a rotating, like the changeling, you know? Um, that's a great changeling. You know, it's like a great, solid ghost story. Um, I mean, you know, I've got a top. You know, there's a top ten. You know, it's like it's so hard to pick. Like, you know, I love the thing. You know, I love Dawn of the Dead. You know, I love Night of the Living Dead. Um, there's just so many. It's like music. Pick your favorite song. Yeah, it's you just can't. It's hard. But those three, I mean, you know, the three that I mentioned today are certainly always in my orbit and just I, I crave watching them. I, I, I'm more drawn to them for some reason. Like I, you know, my wife and I did like the locations of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it was insane. It was so cool. I know um, you did that. <laughs> I know for a fact you did. And, and I want to go back and do the part two locations, right? And I want to see the part three locations eventually. Mm-hmm. And, and you just go down the rabbit hole on these, these movies that you love. And, um, 
even though the, some are more successful than others, right? Um, the Thing is another big one. You know, I got to do some artwork with Arrow Video and yeah. on The Thing, and man, like, uh, I love that movie, you know. Um, you know, it's just, it's a perfect horror film. I mean, it's, you know, um, it's, 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 it's amazing to be able to, like, tap into these films and, and grab a little bit of nostalgia from them and just throw it on a page and see what, what I can do with it. Nice. So what's your connection with the whole My Bloody Valentine franchise as a whole? Because you have done a lot of artwork for that franchise in particular. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I have. And uh, it, it's funny because sometimes when you do a really good job once on a particular movie, then, and I don't mind this at all, people want you to do that again. Like I, like Creepshow is another, you know, I've done a lot of, you become like the the My Bloody Valentine guy. And uh, and that's okay because I love that movie. And um, I guess how it started was, um, you know, we had met, you know, through Rumorica, you know, you get to meet a lot of filmmakers and um, George is local. I mean, he he's uh, George Mahalka, the director, sorry. He's, he lives in Hamilton. And um, uh, so he's always in Toronto. He's where he works in the film industry. He's always there. So we ran into him got to know him and he's just like this really warm, fun loving guy that happened to have made like one of the best slashes ever. And, you know, we'd go to like the, my bloody Valentine screenings. And I also worked, he's um, his, his wife, Susan Curran uh, used to work at anchor Bay entertainment for Canada. And so she, I've worked with her on black Christmas stuff. So we did a season's grievings 40th anniversary of black Christmas. So I did the artwork for that. And, uh, and so we hang out with him. Like we've become friends. And so uh, all of a sudden, you know, anytime there's something, my bloody Valentine, George calls, you know, or emails, I get, I get an email. The why I think waxwork was the first thing. The record was the first thing that I did. My bloody Valentine related. Yeah. This one, which yeah. is still, it's still my absolute favorite of all of the artwork. What are they at? A hundred releases that front cover. Just like the, I saw it the first time. I was like, I have to fucking have that. Because of that, <laughs> right? So and I'm like, I'm like messaging you. Is that a photo? Would that you took? Like, is it art? What the hell is it? <laughs> well, it's kind of a you know. I did use some reference, but it's a painting, and I, I, you know, I, I do use photo reference. I use maybe two or three photos sometimes. Um, you know, it's hard to find a shot of him just dead on like that, right? Yeah. Like, you know, when you see artists do a lot of profile shots, you know, that's their thing. They just do profiles, or that's their thing where they just do the on like just like their head it's hard to find sometimes it's hard to find just a guy standing still or a, a person standing still you know um and uh so you know with that one it was probably a mix of one or two shots right that i just you know i just painted and um i you know i throw texture on there i you know it, it was all digital um and i just sort of just i i just sort of you know i i I tweak these things. I, I, you know, I, it's either a, a raw painting from, from scratch, you know, or it's like a mix of like uh, maybe a bit of a, a photo that I've manipulated, uh, you know, or just, you know, whatever I can do to get the job done really. But mostly it's, it's, you know, it's all hand done, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking like other people's photos and using them and stuff like that. I use my own reference and, yeah. Um, but I'll look at like a prop, 
uh, you know, you have a couple of photos in front of you. There's the prop of this or that and use that. Right. And, um, and just try to get it, you know, just tweak it to your standards. Like I'll color it, you know, with that bloody Valentine, you know, I added a lot to, to the raw like uh, image, right. It was sort of just like one shot of a dead on mask, but none of the other stuff was there. Like the helmet wasn't really there. I had to like put it all together, paint it all together. Right. So, and then the inside was a fold out of the newspaper. Yeah. And again, that was, you know, more taking like textures of newspaper, you know, scanning that in, you know, making it look like a newspaper, putting stains on it, making it, you know, digitally doing oh. that. Um, and then coming up like the logos for all like the little, the cage, you know, moose head and stuff like that. And, <laughs> and, and, and sort of, you know, mixing it all together and sort of like a blender and, you know. Well, I think what most people don't know is how quick you are at it. We worked together on the Chainsaw Massacre, the Shocking Truth release, and you and I talked on like a Monday about <laughs> what we could and couldn't do for it and what, you know, ideas. And by like Wednesday, you were already sending me stuff. And I was like, dude, I haven't even gotten over the phone call yet. Like, <laughs> I still got a hangover from you got it. Me at a good you, time. <laughs> yeah, you I, like I work can, so I, quick. I can be quick. I can be quick, I guess, when, um, I don't know. The, Sometimes like when, if, if I'm taking my time and I'm really trying to, I'm exploring more and I'm, I'm coming up with like, I don't want to say finished concepts, but like really tight roughs, I would say so that it's almost far along enough so that when the client says, yes, I can take that and almost be finished with it. Yeah. And that's, that's what happened. And, and we had a nice, cool, simple design. Some of the stuff I'm asked to do is not simple at all. No. No. And so it's like, hey, uh, you know, example, can we see like an entire scenario of people and explosions and cars and stuff? Uh, you know, that's going to take me longer than the hammer in a pool of blood. Right. Uh -huh. But I was able to just take that idea and really run with it. And that's why, Sean, you probably saw the quick you know, turnaround. And also when I like a lot of this times, too, I'm looking for reference and I'm looking for you know, ways to bend the spoon. You know what I mean? Because yeah. people ask you to do stuff and you're like, I don't have reference for the playground of this or whatever it is. I got to find it. I got to watch the movie. I got to do screen grabs of the movie. Yeah. I've got to look at every angle of this building or whatever it is. And I got to, I got to put this in front of you. Like it's a real thing and it's got to be art. It's got to be, yeah, you know what I, I mean? It's, I it's, Go ahead. Yeah, we were talking about the back cover and I was just like, well, what, a, what about like the graveyard or something? And you were like, you know what? I was just there and I got pictures of it. And like two days later, yeah. even beyond that, you had pit, like you had art of it. And I was like, awesome. So yeah, it was really quick. So <laughs> yeah, um, like I said, when, 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 when the reference is there, I can, I can be really quick sometimes. And I, you know, I, I can work on a deadline. Um, you know, uh, there are times, though, where I do like to explore. And if you are just saying, I want a back cover, but you're not telling me anything you want, I've got a blank page and I, I've got to play a little bit of Griswold, the mind reader, and try to like, you know what I mean? Like, what do they want to see? Okay, well, I'm going to try this. Okay, they didn't like that. Or that's not quite what they wanted. I got to try that. Yeah. Um, and so those those jobs can take maybe a little longer because I'm really mm -hmm. trying. Like I'm really trying to 
get, get like an awesome image, right? Right. And as long as we land on that awesome image, that's all that matters to me, you know? So, um, but yeah, I like, I like, I like, I like, I like when things go quick too. Like I like it when, you know, um, sometimes, you know, they do, they just, you've, sometimes you got the idea, like by the time we're done the email, yeah, you know, I'm like, Oh, I haven't, you know, like the shocking truth, like that was great because we knew we needed to, to do it a, a certain way. And, and I'm like, well, Christ, I've got like so much like TCM stuff around, always going floating around. It's actually, I'm glad that we weren't able to, to use any movie stuff. Right. Because it forces you to come up with something really creative. Yep. And, and that's what people are talking about that release for. So well, that's well as good. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad because I, I've always felt this and even, even, even when I started um, in the early days before doing soundtracks and posters, it has to look as good as it's written. Yeah. You know, the art should look as good as the product itself. Um, does that make any sense? Oh, yeah. Like it's, it's like, you know, um, you know, you're presenting something, you're, 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 you're trying to present something in its best possible light. And, um, you know, when you buy a car, like you're not going to give it a shitty paint job. You want to make sure that, you know, that car is going to look good on the outside too. And I feel like that's all I'm really doing is just trying to make things look as good as possible. And, uh, and uh, yeah, trying, trying to have fun with it at the same time. Sometimes it's not fun sometimes but you know right. for the most part it is <laughs> oh you had fun with that that and like the night riders one like when i talked to you about it you were so excited to to be able to do that with the boars vallejo stuff i could hear it when i talked to you about it initially you were so excited to be doing you know another romero project and everything so oh yeah um, and again yeah well thanks thank you for tapping me for that because you know you get those you get some titles that you know people throw at you and honestly like you know, I'm just grateful for the for for the contact and the work, but there are titles that, you know, really kind of hit you harder than other ones. You know, you're like, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm also working on titles that are, um, how do I say this, like propelling you as well. You know what I mean? Like, I love doing B-movie horror. I always will. I always will. But there's also Z-movie horror, too, that can't always do you gotta you gotta reach fans uh, of these movies as well right mm -hmm. so there has been like certain maybe dvd titles i might not warm up to other than you know others yeah right so um that new book that was just put out by armando munoz through stopthekiller.com you did the artwork for that is that your first book that you've ever done uh not my first book cover um, I actually did a book with Lisa Ladisseur. She's a local, uh, like mu music expert. Uh, she used to be on much music a lot and she writes for all kinds of publications. Um, and she, she published a book, I think it was like back in 2011, 2012, and it was called the A to Z of goth. And she's a goth personality. She's, you know, that's her that's her uh, expertise. And so everyone calls her for that stuff. And, and she published a book. And so I did the illustrations for it and the cover as well. I did the whole design and then every chapter was the A to Z of goth. So a, a for absinthe. So I would draw absinthe, you know, B for Bauhaus. So we drew Bauhaus, you know, 
and so her so that was uh one book um and then uh obviously like my book uh we put that together that's sold out um unavailable now um but this was like uh the the my bloody valentine book yeah i mean i know i'm forgetting a book cover in there too because i've worked with publishers over the years um have you guys I, I, for I, like 84 publishing didn't you do like uh, a book for them a while back i can't recall but i want to say that there was one you did yeah yeah i had my own art book with them i did that with them but i mean i get yeah i guess i designed the cover for that too but um you know with the my bloody valentine book again it's just another format to work with right it's just another um physical media format that um i love doing and uh, it was great working with them uh, again like george mahalka called me and 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 said and susan and said look we're looking for we want you to do you know the cover for the book we've got the game coming out um and uh, this is all through George. Yeah, I guess we're going back to My Bloody Valentine. This this is the connection, right? Yep. Just getting to know him over the years and hanging out with him, and and now they like they like my stuff. You know, they just they and they you know obviously there's other artists that do My Bloody Valentine stuff too. They're doing incredible stuff too. And um, but they wanted the book to be different and uh, not different, but like you know just have have another take on it, use another artist, and uh, yeah, I'm glad they did because it was awesome. Um, it sold out right away, which I was not expecting at all. I went to just check to see if it was still there and it was gone. And, uh, so that's, that's pretty exciting. I, I think, you know, a movie like that, um, I like to be part of the sort of the ground, uh, on the ground with it because I know that that, you know, there, there was a remake. I know that there's more coming with that movie. I don't know what it is, but I feel like that movie is going to continue to gain, fans and an audience and whether it's going to be a sequel if they took that formula from the friday the 13th game and put it in a fucking mine with the miner running around trying to kill people like that would like there's so much stuff that they could do with it that they you know Mm -hmm. i don't think they fully have that license yet yeah and i feel you're right it's like it's sort of still like an untapped license even though there's a soundtrack and there's you know i've I've, you know done some Blu-ray. I haven't done any Blu-ray covers, but you can buy the uncut now, which is great. Mm-hmm. They finally released the way it was meant to be seen because that movie was victim of the censorship boards back when Tupper, what's her name? Tupper Gore or whatever. Tipper, Tipper, Tipper Gore. Gore. Yeah. Tipper Gore. Yeah, Tipper like Gore whatever. Tipper Gore and the PMRC, you know, they were taking down heavy metal and extreme music and extreme movies and which weren't really that extreme at all, it no. turns out. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and and My Bloody Valentine certainly was a victim of that. Now you can go on any streaming service and find stuff 10 times more violent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, so back then, you couldn't even show Jason stab somebody. So they had to take out so much of that movie. And uh, while I did always enjoy the movie without those scenes because I did feel that the movie itself is strong and, and that the characters are someone that everyone can identify with. They're not your typical slasher teenagers. It's not your typical town. It's not your typical killer at all. Right. There's nothing supernatural about him really. Uh, and uh, it's a, it's a really scary, you know, costume, whatever minor. 
And they really like, they, they, I think they've really tapped into something that horror fans are enjoying because it's, you know, we, we love the, like, I love the Friday series and I, you know, I love the Halloween series mostly, but you know, this is a movie that just made its own rules. And, uh, it is shocking that there hasn't been, I know that I do know that George is actively trying to get a sequel made. Oh, wow. Written by him. Right. Yeah. Um, it needs to be done with him mm-hmm. somehow. It doesn't need, whether he directs it or not, you know, he needs to be involved because I feel that way because he wrote those original characters. He it's, he's the DNA, right. And, and mm-hmm. it's, and it's, and, and so is the team that he worked with back then. You know, there's DNA that all went into this, this, this production that made it so unique. It's Canadian too, which, which I absolutely love. And, uh, I love I love Canadian movies that try to pass themselves off as American movies. Black Christmas yeah. does it too. You see a little like American flag on the on the desks in the in the police departments, and you're like, yeah, yeah no, they're out in like Huntsville somewhere. But um, <laughs> you know, but um, you know, Canada's got like you know, uh, it doesn't have like the strongest like uh, reputation for film, right? Like um, all all kinds of movies are shot here, all kinds of series are shot here, but they're American productions and. You know, as kids growing up, it was always American influenced by, you know, Universal monsters, um, you know, you name it, American bands, American, you know. So for Canada, you know, to have like a real stake in the horror ground, you know, My Bloody Valentine, Black Christmas, The Changeling, uh, Deranged. The Last, uh, the so last of Us. <laughs> yeah, is yeah, that the- filmed in Toronto? Um, it's filmed up in Canada. I don't know where. It's filmed in the same spot where Ghostbusters was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's it's great that uh, you know that all these these productions are coming here because obviously it's good for our economy. But um, it's also cool when I'm watching like something on Netflix, like whatever my uh, what is it, uh, Umbrella Academy, mm-hmm. and I'm like five minutes down the road from where all that's shot. You know what I mean? Ten minutes down the road. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, so. But anyway, I don't know. We're going on a tangent. I, I, oh, no, I tend no, to go no, on no. tangent. No, you're fine. I got to get that same feeling, too, because I'm about an hour, hour and a half from where they shot the original Evil Dead. So I totally get... Oh, um, so you're in Michigan? No, I'm in Tennessee. It was filmed in uh, Morristown. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, it's no big deal. Like, the basement scene in the original Evil Dead was filmed in Michigan, but as far as, like, the cabin and all that stuff, it was filmed in Morristown. Okay, great. So the wood stuff was in Morristown. Cool. Um yeah, well, you know, Michigan is evil. It's 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 Ramy Town or two, yeah. right? Like, so going back to uh, my bloody Valentine, is there um, any specific scene, characters, kill, or any moment that sticks out to you in the film that you really really like? Um, hmm. You know, I don't know. It's 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 tough to say here. Uh, it's great seeing the re- reinserted. You know. Um, censored scenes, they certainly give it a little bit more punch. Um, but I always liked um, Happy from the Cage. He's sort of like the. Uh, I love the scene where he's, he's he's warning everybody in the bar. I mean, he's sort of like the uh, you know the crazy Ralph from Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, that's what we were saying. <laughs> and 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 so you know, I always love the scenes with him because he's really good, and he pulls a really nasty prank on them later on in the movie. 
And also a really cool fact about him. I don't remember his first name, but um, his last name is Van. He's Billy Van's brother. And Billy Van is a Canadian hero who was uh, in Hilarious House of Frightenstein, which is a TV show I grew up watching. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that his brother is in that movie is is awesome. So that's one scene. But yeah, man, the, the whole movie, it's awesome. Like it really... I love the end. I don't want to give it away if anyone hasn't yeah. seen it. We, we're going to spoil it. Cause I mean, <laughs> okay, it's like, well, a, it's like already... a 40 some year old movie, you know? <laughs> right. That's true. Well, I love the end. It's really creepy. The little fairy tale that he's singing as he's literally yeah. chewed his own, you know, I fucking love the ending. It's dark. It's bleak. Uh, it doesn't end like a typical slasher. Like, yeah. Okay. You think there's going to be a, um, a sequel, but, I did not expect that to happen, him to get out of the situation that way. I mean, that really made it, like, demented. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a shocking scene, you know? So there's one more shocking scene right on the way out. Yeah, and he was um, going after the guy with the knife, I think. I don't know if he chewed it off or because he had a knife at the end because he got Right, or he off, cut it off. Yeah. So I think he cut the arm off as well. Right, I noticed right. that because I, I was talking about it as well with the – after seeing it for all these years on VHS and now we have got Blu-ray and I'm sure there's a 4k coming of it. Um, you actually can see what's going on in some of these scenes. Cause it's so damn dark. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I forgot about the knife. Yeah. 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 I, I never noticed it either till I was watching it two nights ago and I was like, Oh, he's got a knife. I always thought he chewed through it too. And I'm like, he must, well, have there you the go. Knife. See subconsciously, like I still think that he does. Right. Because we've yeah. just seen these new scenes and uh, like, well, I mean, I've only seen them. A co- like I, my bloody Valentine was, I wouldn't say it was almost like a yearly watch even before like, you know, I got to know like anyone from the movie or even before rumor got excited about it. Like, I know we put it on our our cover a long time ago too. Uh You know, it was a, it was something we put on the cover. So, um, you know, we, I've been championing that film for so long and I'm so happy to see the game out now and, and every convention you go to, someone's talking about it. Someone's wearing a Harry Warden shirt. Someone's selling stuff. <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, so when I saw the, the, the out there. when I saw the board game, I was actually disappointed that you didn't do the art. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, you I know, like, I, I think, I think, I think Justin Osborne nailed it. Like I, I really <laughs> love what he did for it, but yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, it's, 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 yeah, it would be fun to kind of get in there and, you know, do, redo some, you know, I love the way Justin did the kill scenes and you get to see Mabel, you know, the, the, the woman at the laundromat there. And, and you get to see like, you know, uh, some of the kills, like the, the guy with the, the hot dogs, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, that game looks really amazing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, I don't know how long that would have taken to put together. It looks like they put a lot of, uh, time into it. Um, I did get asked to do a board game once. Uh, and it was for, I think it was killer clowns. Oh, cool. Um, and I, what, it wasn't through that company at all. It was, it was just another thing, but, um, who knows? It could still be a production, but I remember I wanted to do it, but at the time there was some other things coming up that I really had to get to, but also that's a lot of time. I think a board game would probably take about three to six months. That's a lot of time on one project. Yeah. Movie for me. I like to spend like maybe a month on one you know what i mean like that's a lot of time to spend on like one property so i think maybe that weighed a bit on my mind too when i was asked to do it okay cool 
Well, thanks for stopping by today. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for uh, having me. I can't wait to listen to the rest of the podcast. Yeah. We, we talked some mass trash about the movie and everything. So yeah. Cool. Is we this just... specifically about MBV? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. This episode will be. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Oh, right on. Yeah. yeah. We got that screening coming up. So I don't know if any of your listeners are in Toronto or the area. They, you know, we've got that, uh, my bloody Valentine, uh, cast and crew screening coming up, uh, on the 14th and um a lot of the, the cast is going to be there and um i'm going to be selling some prints in the of the book cover in the in the in the lobby and nice and uh, i'm looking forward to seeing all the the fellow you know my bloody valentine fans coming out cool so where can uh, everybody uh, reach you as far as like you know keep up with your social media and stuff if you want to plug that oh yeah yeah sure um just it's just at ghoulish gary on on instagram and at ghoulish gary on twitter and then ghoulish gary pulling on facebook if you if you search that i'm sure you'll find it um i'm always posting new stuff when i can and and uh trying to keep the page going you know um and just sort of having fun with with the people that follow the art and i really appreciate you guys all the comments that i've i've gotten from you guys and Sean, I've, I've loved working with you too, and uh, so thank you very much. Cool, um, thanks. Thank you. Yeah. It's a bad time, this time of year. How many times is he gonna tell this story? I'll let him tell it. I love fairy tales. This ain't no fairy tale, little girl. If you don't take it seriously, you're a fool! <laughs> the first Valentine's dance in 20 years has to be something special. Look, Landers, you gotta get a lot of exercise if you're gonna grapple with Gretchen. Oh, yeah? Well, I got a valentine for her that she's never gonna forget. Right to the heart, huh? In this town on Valentine's Day, everybody loses their heart. Roses are red, violets are blue. One is dead, and so are you. Bluffs. It looks like Harry Warden's back in town. It happened once. It happened twice. Cancel the dancer, it'll happen twice. In the town of Valentine Bluffs, there are many ways to die. Bloody Valentine. Let's get back to uh, focusing on my bloody Valentine. So, where do we start, Sean? How do you want to start this? I, you know, I've been thinking about this one because I, I love this movie so much. Um, 
I think we should start by talking about the uh, remake and sequel. The sequel. <laughs> I, I kind of it, it was when I went and saw the movie that movie in theaters because we just got off this whole like month of talking about remakes and sequels and we didn't even bring up the My Bloody Valentine one, which is an, mm-hmm. a fucking really good movie. I, I really enjoyed it in theaters. It was the, like I think the first 3D movie I ever saw, but um, they marketed it like it could be a sequel and could have been a remake but you didn't know till you got in to see the movie and then when i got in there you know it's like a full-on fucking it, it's both so because they kind of they remade the the film but they also did some stuff you know a little different so i don't know i like that i like that one just to kind of hearken this whole conversation back to the last you know month that we spent talking about the shit and like looking at it going how did we not talk about that one but we didn't so yeah I mean, I think we did have it like on the artwork, I think, but we didn't mention it. I think um, it was e- even on our list when we were doing like top fives and stuff. I think it was on mine yeah. and then it kind of disappeared once we went down to three because we realized we'd be talking for six hours about remakes that and most of them, which we don't like. So, yeah, um, I do have to say the one thing that's memorable about the remake for me is just Tom Adkins as the police chief. I, I like his performance in that movie. Yeah, and his his death. Um, I love the whole intro of the film, the way that they did it with the music and the all of that stuff. And then the movie never really slows down. It's very very good, and I love how they they you're expecting the ending to be a certain way, and then they whole oh shit. Okay, they didn't go that way. So yeah, there's some cool stuff that happened with it. Yeah. So I guess let's talk about the original. Um... So it was released February 11th, 1981, to, of course, coincide with Valentine's Day. Um, the movie was shot on a budget of $2.3 million, and it made $5.7 million. So it easily doubled its money. Yep. Um, and just for fucking the rental, I think, I think it made a hell of a lot more than that, because I remember it being on, you know been on shelves since I, I can remember going to the video store and stuff but all the goddamn times it's been put out on um physical media i mean it must be selling really really well otherwise they wouldn't keep re- releasing it over and over and over again oh, yeah. so like it has to be easily one of the most recognizable like 80 slasher movies i mean granted you've got of course like the mainstays like the michael myers and jason and freddie and stuff like that but this one i think is easily top 10 list if not higher and it's, for some people it's just starting to get like the merchandise you know like all the other ones were for years it didn't and now um they, there was an action figure that i saw recently that was actually at my local target while i was waiting for the wife's prescription for something you know like I was like, holy shit. Like, I didn't even know this was out. And there's an, was it an action. It's one of those ones that, like, they make it look like a cartoon. Oh, yeah. It's one of the Terror Tune ones. Yeah. One of those. Um, It got that. It's got the new book out. There's a, there's a fucking board game that's even, you know, came out recently from it. So, but that Silent Night, Deadly Night just got a board game. So, I mean, there's. You know, they're kind of going after some of the stuff I think that they think it's going to be easier to get. <laughs> easier to do My Bloody Valentine than a Friday the 13th board game right now. So, Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the music in this movie by Paul Zaza. Um, so it's, good. 
it's so good, but for me, the one track, of course, that always sticks out wasn't even one that he wrote. I think it was the Ballad of Harry Warden at the end of the movie. Yeah, which um, is pretty much the greatest um, credits horror movie, you know, song of all time, in my opinion. Like, it's such a... But then again, there's not a whole lot of them, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, interestingly about that track, I did not know this until recently. So, this guy by the name of John... McDermott uh, is actually the vocalist on that. He is a Scottish Canadian uh, tenor. So he's like a singer. And um, it was, I think, announced like a few years ago, like he done some sort of interview um, where I guess um, Paul Zaza offered him like out of school uh, the opportunity to record the vocals on that track. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I was so happy when um, because it – when the waxwork release came out, they kind of spliced together a bunch of stuff and it's not really, it was never announced. Then I got the record. I was like, Oh, this is so cool that it was included for anyone who doesn't know. It's like a, um, like the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, almost like version Gordon Lightfoot version, which Ryan probably never heard the song, but like in the eighties, they do like these songs where it would tell a story. And that's what it is. It tells the story, basically everything you just saw. So it's just, it's a really cool song that they ended with. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, so as far as the movie goes, um, of course, the plot is there's this dance. It's 20 years after uh, Harry Warden, who is now kind of this like urban legend in the town, murdered a bunch of people on Valentine's Day back in 1960. Um, due to the fact that there were two supervisors who left five miners down in the mines below to attend uh, the dance, and they forgot to check the uh, gas levels in the tunnels. And because of that, explosion happens in the town while everybody else back in 1960 is dancing up at the uh, party. And um, they dig for, what was it, six weeks to find yeah. him and the rest of the guys in the tunnel, which, for starters, like, six weeks by that point, which... I'm surprised even Harry does resort to cannibalism and kills and eats like some of the other miners. I'm surprised he's able to survive that long. Well, yeah. He's, oh, I saw the movie alive, man. You can live a while off from, you know, human, <laughs> human remains, I guess. Cause I, he, I don't know if they, did they, I don't remember. Did they cover that? He resorted to cannibalism in the movie. Yes. I know that it is yes. in the remake heavily. So okay. in the original, yeah. So like they dig through the mine for the weeks, and then when they find him, he's got like blood all over his face and like yep. soot okay. and dust, and he's yep. sitting there and he's like munching on someone's arm while like everybody yeah. else around him is dead. I'm getting to the age now where I can't keep, I can't differentiate in my head the remake and this one. Where it's like, did, did they show that? Shit, I don't remember. But then I've also seen this movie like. 50 times in my life and seen, you know, both versions. I get confused. So it's like trying to right. keep track of what happened in the Dawn of the dead. <laughs> Where there's like five versions. Like, fuck, I don't know what version that is. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so he then gets put in a mental hospital for a whole year. He comes out of the mental hospital. So it's 1961 and he goes around and murders, uh, the two supervisors who left their post the previous year, he then cuts out their hearts and places them in Valentine's candy boxes with notes in them, warning the town to never hold a Valentine's Day dance ever again. And that is pretty much the whole myth of Harry Warden. Well, this group of youngsters plus this uh, lady by the name of um, 
I'm trying to remember Mabel. Mabel. Yeah, she runs the local laundromat in town. Um, they're getting ready to set up a party for the uh, Valentine's Day dance and decorate and everything. This guy named uh, TJ, who is the mayor's son, who the mayor also owns the mine, uh, Hanneker Mine, in the uh, movie. Um, there's like this sort of love triangle between TJ, Axel, and this girl named Sarah. Apparently, Axel's T- a supervisor at the mine, I think. Yes. And uh, TJ, he worked in the mine for a while, and he was dating Sarah, and then he left and was kind of wanting to live on his own, try to make it, and he kind of fell flat on his butt. Uh, so he comes back, and he's working in the mine because his dad's basically making him work in the mine since he's back now. Um, so, again, this whole love triangle, which kind of plays into the plot a lot with this movie. Um, so that evening, you know, they're getting ready to set up for the dance and stuff. The, uh, mayor gets a, uh, Valentine's Day candy box and him and the, uh, chief are driving through town, I guess, heading back to the station or something. And he decides to open up the box. And when he opens it, there's a warning in there. Um, I can't remember the exact words. It's a, it's a poem. Yeah. Yeah. All of them are poems. Like, like once is dead, twice is dead, something like that. Um, but anyway, he opens up and inside there's a human heart, which I believe is supposed to be the woman from the beginning of the movie that gets impaled through the uh, spike in the uh, mining scene where these two uh, people start about to make out. And yeah, I think there's a little bit more going on there, Ryan, but okay. Well, well yeah, I'm giving the PG version out there. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a little, uh, little bit more gonna, that was going to happen in the yeah, dirtiest little... fucking. Who who takes someone into a mine to try to seduce them? Hey, it's in the middle of the country, man. You're trying to do it privately. I mean, <laughs> well, you've never seen a porno ever set in a mine, and yet through this movie, like, there's how many people going to get it on in the fucking mine? So just <laughs> it's like I don't know, and I don't know any. Yeah. I guess like all the mechanic garages, all the libraries, the offices, and everywhere else in town. <laughs> the laundromats. The laundromats are even locked up apparently, but not, but but not, but apparently not Mabel's, which we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, and, and she's like dressed for it too. She's like just stripped. Like, what the fuck? Like, if I took my wife down there, she'd be like, "Clean this fucking place up." If I and we're, none of this is happening. <laughs> like, which. <laughs> Which is interesting, we get back to the mine, because uh, when they went to the mine to start shooting, which it was filmed in the Sydney Mines in Nova Scotia, um, the whole mining company cleaned the mines out before they got there, (laughs) and the set designers like, what the hell, you know, we want a dirty mine, we want it to be like an operational mine, and they're like, oh, so they had to go back and dirty it up. (laughs) Yeah. And not only that... But you obviously you don't know who uh, Harry Warden is at the beginning of the movie, and you know the the scene where he's with the girl. Not only that, he's he's not only is he a fucking murderer and crazy, he's also a cheating son of a bitch because he's taking another girl down there. Which I didn't, I guess I didn't realize till the other night. I was like, oh that that son of a bitch, he's yep. cheating on this girl. <laughs> yep. So that evening, after the uh, chief and the uh, mayor find the heart in the uh, Valentine's Day candy box. Mabel um, is at her laundromat and somehow she finds another like Valentine's Day type thing and she opens it up and 
Uh, it's like one is dead and so are you. And next thing you know, someone kills her. And she uh, gets murdered and everything. And one of the things that kind of bothers me about her murder is the fact that you're going to tell me that for over 24 hours, a person's body is in a dryer and that dryer is on for so long as is, and it's a local laundromat that nobody, that nobody uses and it's not locked up or anything. And the mayor, like, no, the sheriff comes in and he opens up the place and he starts to smell and there's blood smeared on the door and it takes him two minutes to find that. (laughs) Well, that, that's a lot of fucking quarters. I mean, yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's a lot of quarters to keep that thing going as long. (laughs) Harry Warden was in there. He's fluffing up his laundry. (laughs) It's coveralls. <laughs> this and um, I think it's cut in the original version because I watched the original the other night, the theatrical. And when they open it, I think in the she like falls out or something. And in the the theatrical, she do, you don't see any of that. They cut it out. And I was just I was looking on here. They the um, Motion Picture Association of America made them cut nine minutes, which mm-hmm. is a lot of you know when you think about a slasher that's only an hour and 30 minutes, they made them cut nine minutes out. And um, that was some of the footage that was cut that is now put back in. I don't think that the full nine minutes ever got put back in though. I I think it's just like bits and pieces here and there. And it says on here on the thing I'm looking at that Paramount refused to offer an uncut version for years. So apparently scream factory had the right checkbook. They must have or something. Um, Because yeah, like even to this day, I think the director, um, he said something like whenever I was watching it recently, cause there's like an introduction when you watch the uncut version from screen factory, like uh, you're watching um, close, but not exactly the way this movie was intended to be seen. So there's George definitely, Hulker. yeah, George. Um, so there is some stuff out there that has not been found, which I'm curious as to like what that would be. I don't know. George is, uh, he is still going full blast on this film too. Um, when I was talking with Gary the other day, um, he had mentioned that George filled in, um, Munoz, the guy that did the new book, he Uh was, he had filled in some cracks and stuff on story wise and all that. So, I mean, he's still just like championing this movie like to this day. So that's awesome. Yeah. I heard that, um, in the book there is like, if you got a first pressing copy, there's an extra chapter in it. That is yep. only going to be available in the first um, print of them. Yeah, that book sold out. I'm, I, I slept on it for like a week, and I was like, "It's so much." I mean, and then after the fiasco with that new Halloween three book that came out, that like I, I'm like scared to buy any horror books right now. That thing scared mm-hmm. me that bad because I mean, mine went back to Amazon once I opened it. So, mm. did you but, get it? Mm-mm. Yeah, avoid it. Like I'm, I wanted to read through the story and stuff, but it was, it's really badly executed, I guess would be the word. Hmm. That sucks. Yeah. Um, so after, uh, they find Mabel's body, they realize that there's a heart, little cardboard heart inside her chest cavity. Cause her heart gets ripped out as well. And there's basically a note saying, you know, for them to cancel the dance or he'll kill again. So immediately, 
the chief goes and tells everybody, you know, we're canceling the dance. Maple died of a heart attack, ironically. Um, and they're like, oh, well, this is just some BS because Mabel would want us to continue the dance and stuff. Well, they're not going to let them do it. Um, the mayor and the uh, chief, they go to contact the uh, mental institute where Harry was incarcerated, but apparently they have no records of him um, for whatever reading, reason. So later that evening, they decide at the bar, the youngsters, including... Um, Axel, TJ, Sarah, Harriet, Tommy, John, Mike, Howard, Sylvia, Patty, and Hollis. Um, they all are like, hey, why don't we just throw a party in the mine instead? You know, screw the town. So they decide to sneak and get um, into the mine, and they throw their own little party. We were talking earlier about the bartender that warned them about it. Um, so he sets up that dummy and apparently the dummy turns out to switch magically into Harry Warden and stabs him in the face. Um, and his body gets hidden later on in a little jump scare. Um, yeah. But at the party, um, the miner brutally kills Dave. And Dave's kill, I was talking to you about this the other night, Sean. Um, I think this is the first time I've ever seen someone die by being drowned in hot dog flavored water. Yeah, like, I, ever. I've never, well, yeah. Like, it's fucking, gr- like, that whole kill is, like, it's so edited down. And then, like, the other one, like, like they linger on it and stuff. And I actually think that the um, the guy opening the refrigerator and his dead body is in there. Is, like, yeah. bigger. Like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> and they I mean, don't notice it. it. Oh no, he opens it up and he's just like, yeah, so anyway, anybody want a beer? And it's like, there's a dead body in the refrigerator where he's yeah, grabbing the beer and, and not and, looking. And the girls like pull his heart out of the pot where all those hot dogs were cooking in. They're like, ew, what's this? Like, Well, it's they, like gray. Yeah, because yeah, it's cooked. <laughs> yeah. Like, and ugh, yeah. That, and then we go into the, I think the next kind of set piece is the, the coveralls, which is like my favorite once again two people sneaking away in the middle of a mine which i don't know i work in an environment kind of like this where like we have locker rooms and shit like that where i work you know monday through friday and i'm gonna the smell i couldn't you're not getting a chick in there but this guy like you know he was that the ginger i was talking about and he's real smooth with the ladies so he was able to get his girlfriend in there and then Goes to get beer, I think. More Moosehead Lager. <laughs> yeah, that's where you see uh, Dave's body in the freezer. Yep, and then they cut away, and they have this scene where this couple's making out, and the entire above them, where they, instead of having lockers, they um, they have like this mechanism that pulls their coveralls up to the ceiling and everything, and um, it's like somebody running through a clothesline in like the the Kim Darby scene in Halloween six, where she's running through the clothes and trying to get through. And when she's finally getting attacked and everything, like they keep falling on her because, you know, somebody's pulling the shit off to the side and everything, but a very effective. That's probably one of my favorite kills in the whole movie because of that. Like the setup for it is so creative that. Yeah. Um, which if I'm not mistaken too, um, whenever she is, before she gets like impaled on the shower head, the uh, bartender, when all those oh, coveralls start dropping down, the bartender that gets stabbed earlier when he was making that fake yep. um, 
prop of Harry Ward, and he gets dropped down like right next to him. And there is actually um, the uncut version. You see that it's him and like his eyeballs hanging out of its socket and stuff and yeah. everything. Which, yeah, I'm like the whole time I'm watching it the other night, the the showers that they've made for their employees is just a bunch of pipes that are squeezed shut at the top. Yeah, they're like cramped. <laughs> yeah, like and so, and but then when he. Yeah, for anybody that hasn't, like, obviously we're spoiling the shit out of this movie, but we normally do because we're assuming that people have seen it and just want to know a little bit more about it or hear two idiots, you know, talking about it. And it's like 42 years old. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But when he he puts her head through one of those and then in the uncut version, you see a lot of blood coming out and like she's turned into like a, a fucking spray of water, but of water and blood. Yeah. But anyway, so during that time, too, um, I think it's, oh, gosh, who is it that goes down? I think it's Mike, Harriet, Hollis, Howard. I love love Hollis. That's my favorite character in the whole movie. Hollis is my favorite, too. Um, That scene where they're cooking earlier on the radiator, that car, he's like, turkey for the turkey. (laughs) Yeah, he is like I love his character, but then again, I always gravitate towards the chubby guys in these horror movies because yeah. I'm a chubby guy too, have been my whole life, and yeah. But he, he's his death scene, like, like I was like, why couldn't he make it? Like just, mm-hmm. just once, let the fat guy make it through. Like mm-hmm. I guess that's if I ever make a horror movie, it's going to be a fat hero that just kicks <laughs> ass because it never. Maybe that. What's the the movie with the two rednecks in it? Oh, Top- Tucker and Dale versus Evil. That's the closest I've ever come to seeing that. Yeah. So, um, which that dude, um, Keith, Knight, not even, he's not um, even heavy set. He's not yeah. even heavy set. He just like, it, it's my spirit in another, you know, without all the redneck shit, I guess. <laughs> right. So yeah, like s- since we're on the fact of Hollis, Keith Knight, who played as him, um, he yep. had, I, go- I went through this the other night too. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Like he was in meatballs. Um, he was in class of 84, which is an awesome movie. If you've never seen it, he played as barnyard in that one. He's like the heavy set dude with like the swastika on his, uh, shirt. Um, and he also was in siege. Have you ever seen siege? Um, no. So it's like the Canadian version of assault on precinct 13. Huh? I was really shocked at his voice work because he did a lot of, Oh, yeah. Cartoons and like the list is just gigantic of the voices and stuff he did over the years. Yeah, he was uh, in Care Bears, I think was like one of yeah. his big things. He was and in. I- he was in that. Oh, my gosh. Um, Beetlejuice, the animated Beetlejuice show. Yeah, he did a bunch of voices in that, too. There was a whole li- like the list is just huge that he did. Mm hmm. Um, yeah. Back to the movie, though. Yeah. Um, Poor Hollis, I mean, he he gets, in my opinion, like one of the worst like ways to die. He gets shot in the temple with a nail gun. Then he gets shot in the front of the head with a nail gun. So, I mean, he's literally walks away. just walks away and he's like a zombie pretty much at that yeah, point. I think, uh, his is bad. I think that the, the, um, the one with the water is probably, I mean, not only are you drowning in the water that you're breathing it in. I mean, I can't even, you know, you're <laughs> trying to you know, yeah. breathe and you're kicking and someone's holding you down. You're getting burnt. I, I can't even imagine the pain because it just would start and run right down. So yeah, yeah it's fucking bad. Be like that game of Thrones where they put that, that hot shit down the guy's throat. <laughs> yeah. So. That's pretty bad. Um, so 
on top of that, you've got uh, Mike and Harriet who get impaled by a large drill. Um, Howard, which you never see Howard again for some reason. Like, he just runs off into the mine, and he's... Oh, no, wait. Isn't he the one that, like, they find, like, when they're climbing up, escaping? And like, he's the one that head. falls. Yeah, he gets, like, his head decapitated or whatever, and he falls. Yeah, he has, like, the worst, like, that that fall, like, almost looked like they used a real body. <laughs> like, holy shit. Yeah. The so, girl's trying to climb in high heels, and the one's afraid. I'm, I'm not going any further. You're, like, 50 feet up near. Where the fuck are you going to go? You know, like, they're not going to lower a basket in to get you. Get going, you dunce. Which, the guy that played as Howard, interestingly enough, too, he was in quite a few movies as well. Um, one that everybody will probably remember is First Blood. He was one of the police officers that, um, I think he's one that gets, like, his nose broke by Rambo in the movie. Hmm. Um, he also was in, of course, uh, X2, X-Men 2. Um, he was in Ernest Rides Again. <laughs> Those Gotta fucking Ernest movies, Ernest. man. I, right now, the Dead Pit guys are just like, yes, dude. Ernest is awesome. I love Ernest. Well, movies. Ernest is like a like when I went to Kentucky. Like, you don't say anything bad about Ernest in Kentucky because they'll fucking shoot you. <laughs> so, like uh, Wes Vance will will back that up. Like, he is a national treasure in Kentucky. When I went there for Scarefest, I think it was. Like, yeah. Because we ran into the Ernest impersonator running around, um, Billy Crank, I think is his name. Okay. And I, do you know him? No. Oh, God. He does the spot on. He's dressed. Looks like Ernest. Like, yeah. It's, That's awesome. It was like, I'm, like, I'm like, holy shit. He did, like, the whole speech. We're going to be going through nature. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, another one that he did was Act of Vengeance with Charles Bronson. So the guys worked with two big uh, action movie stars, Charles Bronson and Sylvester Stallone. So yeah, first, first Blood is. Um, I love First Blood. Like I know it's not a horror movie, but it kind of is, and you know a little bit. It's yeah. a very very good movie. So, um, TJ, Axel, and um, Sarah, and I'm trying to remember the other girl's name. I I'm awful remembering names. Um, they're all four trying to escape and um, Axel, whenever they're going through this one portion of like the flooded mine, he somehow um, falls over like, I guess the railing and drowns is like 60 foot feet down supposedly. Um, And then TJ's left with basically the two girls to escape with them. And then out of nowhere, Harry comes and kills um, not Sarah, but again, the, uh, the other girl, other girl. So TJ at this point and Sarah, they run onto one of those like mining carts and they start to ascend up to the top of the mine and they're fighting and stuff. And at one point they jump off the cart and they go into, I guess, a section of the mine that is like closed off cause it's, you know, about to collapse or something or it's old mine is yeah. I think what they yeah, but they're in there and they're fighting. TJ's using a shovel to smack Harry, and Harry, of course, is using his pickaxe. And they keep fighting like as if it's you know Star Wars because they keep clanging into each other and stuff. Until finally, TJ gets the hit on Harry, and his mask flies off. 
and it's well, the girl uh, pulls it off the, oh, no. this, the version I watch she pulls it off and then he just like he's like all like got that that weird face and shit like he's just you know <laughs> yeah and then come to she, find she out she scooby doos him yeah <laughs> he does she does scooby doo him and then come to find out um it's Axel uh yeah. Sarah's boyfriend that um had been, you know, apparently cheating on her, I guess, with that one woman that she he kills earlier in the movie. And um, when TJ left, um, he started dating Sarah. Um, and then all of a sudden, doesn't, like, the mime cave in at that point, like, after they get into, like, a little bit more of a fight? Just a little bit more of a fight, and then the, the mine caves in, and then they get out, and they start coming up, and everybody is coming down. They're walking down instead of, cause the, that cart thing was taking too long to come up. So mm-hmm. yeah. So they start coming down and then the cops go in there and they see the hand. His hand is stuck underneath the rocks and everything. And Sarah's so. all like, Oh, Axel, Axel, we're going to get you out of there. Like, why'd you do it? Axel. And it's also revealed at this point too, that the, uh, chief found out earlier, uh, when the, uh, group of kids, teenagers, young adults, whatever you want to call them, when they left the mine because Harry was murdering people when they realized it, um, he got a phone call earlier and come to find out Harry Warden died five years ago. Yeah. And then when they find out it's Axel, the reason being is supposedly um, Axel's dad was one of the supervisors that Harry Warden killed over 20 years ago. And I guess it's and he saw it and he saw it. He was underneath the bed whenever his dad got his heart ripped out and it traumatized him ever since. Yeah. Um, yep. So again, Sarah is holding onto his hand and from the other side, you don't notice this until you cut to it. He's taking a knife and he's cutting off his own hand, arm from like yep, the elbow. It's, it's up. Stuck, yeah. It's stuck under the rocks so he can't get it out to get away and. Yeah, so he cuts it off. I did, I'd never noticed that till recently either. I think the last two or three times I watched it, because probably because I'd always seen it on VHS versions and you know DVD where you can't really see. Yeah, because grainy. Yeah, really grainy and really dark in the scene. And then when he's running away, you see that he's he's missing his arm. And then, then he finalizes it with one of the greatest fucking endings to any horror movie around because they don't catch him. You know, he's going further into the mine, which you're assuming he's going to die, but. I mean, who knows what he's got hidden back there to munch on for six weeks while they cleared out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause he's uh, saying, you know, Harry, I'm coming for you, you bastard. And, uh, we're going to murder everyone in this whole town. And, uh, he starts to then mumble, uh, Sarah be my bloody Valentine and starts laughing maniacally. Um, and it's and we go into the ballad of Harry Warden. Yeah. Which closes the, it out. The greatest credits song of, in the history of horror. Um, I was looking like, so when we were talking about this movie, the, the sets in it, I mean, they had, you were saying like they had to go in and refix the fucking mine to make it, they spent 30 grand. They spent 30 grand of their budget of this. Like, I don't remember what you said the budget is, but it wasn't very much to make the place look dirty again. They could have just had, you know, they could have had my kids go in there and, you know, just fuck up the mind for a couple of days <laughs> for free. Um, yeah. And it's where they filmed it is 2,700 feet below surface. Um, they had methane problems. Mm-hmm. So they had to watch how much, how many 
um, bulbs and stuff they took down there for lighting. And I think that that was a blessing because this movie has, you'll never see a movie make more use of natural elements that they were filming in. Like we were talking about, I think honestly just was like, you know, they're walking through it and you know, this is cool. Let's write a kill scene here. And Oh my God, look how cool that looks. This is, we should do this here. And um, yeah, all of that is extremely like they use, it's the best use of all of it. If, if they would have had a bunch of lights in there, it would have, it wouldn't have been effective if it was overly bright. Um, they did the same thing in the remake too, where it's, it's, they have this, it looks the same. It's a little bit more well lit, I think, but mm -hmm. they were also filming in HD and 3d at the time. So they kind of had to, but yeah. Um, yeah, they were, um, that was one of the things and it was taking them an hour because they would have to transport everything up that thing because they used that same train thing to go up and down the mine. Yeah. Every to day. move all their equipment every day and the crew and everything. Yeah. I even saw a thing where like, um, you notice there's like boards over some of the cars in there for him to walk on. Like they had equipment under it <laughs> that mm -hmm. they were, you know, just didn't take out and stuff like that. So yeah, I um some of the stuff with, that they were doing that. The other thing I wanted to talk about was how bad of an actor that mayor is. Oh he my is gosh. absolutely horrible. When he, uh, I'm telling you, like I open up something like that in a car the way he does, like it's in the first 15 minutes of the movie. He opens up that box with the heart in it and he just puts his hand on his head. Oh my God, this is happening again. Oh, like that's not the reaction that a normal person has. That's I'd be how bad freaking out. I'd be throwing yeah. that thing. <laughs> Yeah, it would have been all over the dash and everything at that point. Like his acting is, it's the worst. And you've got all these young actors in the movie that are, that are really good and effective. Like, I think that's why this movie is so popular is because you like the characters. Yeah. Um, a couple of them that get killed, like Hollis, that that's a, I, I would hang out with him. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, even, you know, the, the two that are fighting over the girl are actually likable at a couple points, you know, in the movie where, and some of the girls are likable and everything, but, um, yeah. <laughs> then they have the, the older actors are the ones that normally they bring in like these, you know, experts and shit that are, you know, they're theatrical actors and all that. And these low budget ones that are finally doing a movie. And this one doesn't have that. Some of the, even the sheriff on a couple occasions, and then they replace him with like Tom Atkins in the remake and shit. And I was like, yes, because yeah. Atkins is the man. He is. He is the ladies man for sure. Um, I do have to say this as far as, when it comes to like, so you know how, like, for example, the burning and madman are considered uh, Friday 13th ripoffs. I would say that out of like also any slasher movie, because I mean, you got to think at the time there was a lot of slasher movies coming out that were sort of using the same formula as Friday 13th. I think my bloody Valentine is the best uh, use of that formula. Cause I mean, you got to think about it. they all shot on location. Yep. The story is very similar. There's an urban legend slash tale in it. You've got the crazy Ralph character. Um, I mean, other than like the locations being differently, the killer and the story is a little different. I mean, it's literally the Canadian equivalent of a Friday the 13th movie. I mean, it's yep. there's so many comparisons you can make to them, and it just does a great job. And again, on top of it, too, it is distributed by Paramount, but I mean, it's, it's a great use of the same formula that made Friday 13 such a good film. Well, yeah, there's so many of these, like you go like, uh, like you could almost do a whole podcast, like seasons of it just on horror movies from like 1980 to 85, but 81 
was just a huge amount of horror movies that came out that year. Um, I, I agree with you. Like this, as far as slasher movies go, especially early '80s stuff, like this is up there. Like it probably, it's it, like I, it's probably my favorite of all of them from from that. I, I probably my favorite slasher too. Like when you go back to the history of the slasher, like we've talked about Black Christmas on here, and then Halloween borrows from it in '78. And all of a sudden you have like this slasher boom that starts with Friday the 13th and Halloween. And then it just never slows down um, all until about 1990. And then they've be, they've killed themselves with all the sequels and unoriginal ideas by 1990. And then it takes Scream in 96 to kind of bring horror movies back a little bit. To the main um, I, at least, yeah. Yeah. And it, it I remember that because like we were talking about brain scan and the movie just absolutely failed in the theater, but you could release that right. If smile is going to make 200 million in the theaters, imagine how much brain scan, if they made that, if that, what hadn't been made and they made it now where the crowd's a little bit more aware the technology, you know, all the shit. Like I, I thought about that after we talked about it, like how cool remake with the phones and the computers. And I mean, he basically had Alexa 20 years before, but it just had a fucking Frankenstein's assistant voice on it, you know, and yeah, everything. Evil. So, yeah, like all the technology they came up for that, I now have in my house pretty much, you know. So it's just, yeah. Um, but that movie completely failed at the box office. And in the middle of, you know, Edward Furlong being like, you know, in demand name and everything. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff about this movie that is to like, if you haven't seen it, like you should really watch it. Um, some of the merchandise and stuff now that, like we were talking about earlier, the book just came out. Um, somebody did a great thing about the 1980s is that they would do these um, Stephen King esque books based on the film script and they would fill in cracks and add different story elements to it and stuff to stretch it out paperback novels. And that is completely died. Like I love that Tarantino brought it back and he, he did it on his own terms. If you haven't read through the once upon a time in Hollywood, it's great. Um, so much stuff added to the film and that's what these used to do. And he grew up, you know, in the seventies and eighties when all the movies had books, you know, that were based off the film. And this one, they kind of went into detail with added extra chapters and, you know, filled in the cracks, had that, had some Gary Pullen art on the front and everything. Um, then you've got the board game, which I've only seen pictures of, but there's also a fan film that was recently crowdfunded and made called Valentine's bluffs. I believe is what it's called starring Chuck Ryan, who, if you've been to a, horror movie convention at all and you see harry warden walking around nine times out of ten it's chuck in you know cosplay and he got to you know star is he, he he took it to like the next level <laughs> you know went and did a fan film of it and they had a premiere and everything in a theater it looked really cool i'm kind of excited to see what you know what the movie's going to look like and everything because I, I know that they're super fans so they should be doing it right Yeah, I haven't heard anything about that, so I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah. Um, another thing I was reading about this is that the crew kept the identity of the killer secret. The cast members didn't even know until the final scene was shot who who was the killer and everything. And um, the actors played their parts like that they so they didn't know. Like it's mm-hmm. you don't really hear about that in films very often, I guess. And they, I, I you know, I guess some of their reactions maybe you know, because of that, but I guess, you know, it'd really be really hard to put, um, TJ behind those rocks at the end (laughs) at that point. Yeah. 
Well, what's crazy too is like the remake, they flipped it around. Yeah. Um, yep. So instead of it being Axel as the killer, it's TJ. Yeah, which I didn't buy either one of them as a killer when I watched the movie. No. The remake, that's the only problem I have is that the two actors playing it are not imposing at all. I mean, the one's got a gun, is a sheriff through the whole thing, and he's not imposing at all. But the original, these guys, like, you could see where either one of them, but they both got a dark side to them where you get, you know, you could see either one of them being the killer. Yeah. Oh, well, what's your favorite kill in the movie? Hmm. I would have to say easily the bartender that gets the pickaxe through the uh, face. And it comes out, and pops his eye. I mean, that's that. That's easily my favorite like effect and kill in the movie. The fucking laugh. Yeah, I, I laugh too. But man, like that effect is just so good. And on the uncut, um, you know, Shout Factory release, man, it 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 looks really good on that. Yeah. Um, I'd have to say like my second favorite one would have to be the. Um, it would have to be the hot dog flavored water boiling face. Like that's that that's just such a crazy kill. Like that's an awful way to go to. You're drowning in something you don't like. Like you said, I mean, I don't know anybody who likes hot dog flavored water. I definitely don't. No, no, not at all. I don't like limp biscuit either. Yeah. Well, that's been going on for 25 years. Like yeah. I dislike them. <laughs> we had a house party once that actually one of the taglines at the bot we made flyers for our friends at the bottom. Any we cannot um we cannot guarantee the safety of anyone that dresses like Fred Durst for this Halloween party or something is <laughs> at the bottom. Man. Speaking of Fred Durst, I'll never forget one day I was at work. There was this guy that pulls in in a red uh, Dodge Charger, like a newer one. And he comes out and he was wearing red uh, basketball shorts, a white t-shirt. He had the red uh, baseball cap and red shoes. And he had like a face that almost looked like Fred Durst. And me and one of my coworkers, we both looked at each other. He's a little bit older than me. We looked at each other and we're like, look, it's Fred Durst. <laughs> I, see, I haven't talked about it on here. Um, I played bass for... 20 years and was in a early rap core band before rap core was even a genre, you know, when rage against the machine hit and everything. And we had the two singers and everything. And, um, we would get compared to limp biscuit and it's like, you need to shut the fuck up right now. Like, Nope, we don't sound like limp biscuit. Cause we sounded more like if you took like rage against the machine with Cypress Hill and then added in like the singer from lamb of God is what we, you know, and the music sounded like System of a Down five years before we even heard System of a Down. But we'd always get compared. Well, you guys, Limp Biscuit was like the big rap core band, and it's like we don't sound like them. Nope. Like, so, Sean, <laughs> the question is, do you do it for the Nookie? No, never did. <laughs> I, and I, I had, I had like cassette, a cassette demo of them before they were even signed, um, and heard it because they were on MP3.com with us, mm-hmm. and. It you know like I, I like their first album and then they just went completely radio and it's like nope mm-hmm. can't yeah I cannot stand them I haven't liked anything they put out since not one song I hear this sh- it'll come on now on the Alexa like randomly on like nineties rock or something and like it's just like like we fight you know to throw shit at Alexa to get her to stop fucking playing it <laughs> <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> 
Don't ever, like I've actually said, don't ever play that fucking song again. I don't understand that command. It's like, well, you better figure it out. (laughs) You're going in the fucking trash. You keep playing that Limp Bizkit in our house. Oh, it made me not like The Undertaker for like five years. Oh, yeah, because he had Rolling. Yeah, he had Rolling. Oh, my god! He'd come out, I'm like, oh, you... F-. And then he had him come out and play it. Well, I'm like, oh, my God. I may- I almost had to stop watching wrestling there for a bit. <laughs> it's funny how that will segue. Like, we just, you know, covered it into yep. right into WWE. Yep. We, we literally go from My Bloody Valentine to Limp Biscuit to WWE. Just like that. So... Back to my bloody Valentine. Do you own the waxwork record? I do. I have a first uh, pressing. I actually was fortunate enough. So this was before I became a subscriber for the first time. Um, I found it on Discogs for thirty five dollars subscriber oh. edition. I have the subscribe the. It's like a transparent red with like, with coal, coal dust. dust. Yeah, that's yeah. the one I got. Yeah, they just did a new version of it, a uh, new pressing, which yeah, it sold out. So- yeah, it sold out fucking quick. Like, they never press enough of some of these, I think. I think they're like, oh, can we sell a thousand? Jeez, I don't know. And then Kevin only does a certain amount, and then they sell out, and he's like, well, shit, they sold out that quick. Yeah. Did you buy any of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Friday the 13th represses that they did recently? No, because I've got one through um, seven on all the Fridays, so I'm caught up on those. Yep. Now, I do need the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's the only one I need. Yeah, that's what like anyone who doesn't know. I used to collect every every yes. fucking record that they this, put out, every this, color, and then this man had every variant, every release, everything. And I know this for a fact yep. because for one, whenever you were selling off a lot of them, I was buying some of them off of you. Yeah, everyone was like, "Holy shit! Like, why do you have nine copies of Creep Show?" Because I'm stupid. I mean, yeah. I even had every sticker, every button, like every, like, and then they did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which it was like nine colors and it was going to be 450 bucks. I'm like, nope, I'm done. And I mean, I even had that Blood Fill Friday the 13th, which I saw one recently that was on eBay that was empty because they mm-hmm. hadn't taken care of it and everything. Yeah. So I can't find it on here now. Um, I haven't bought anything for? from here either. Like I need to pick up the ring before it releases and everything. And then that. Oh, I watched the, have you seen the menu? I have. Did you watch it yet? Mm -mm. Oh, it's fucking good. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I picked up the Rob Zombie Firefly trilogy box. That was the one that I got off from there recently that, um, box Um, that's beautiful. Um, I did really cool stuff in it. I did order some stuff recently. So I ordered, uh, that Martin 4k, uh, that's coming out from second sight. I got the dark sky release of Texas chainsaw in 4k. Which that that's Did you buy a, both? Which what both? Both of the four Ks. So I've only bought the Dark Sky. I do plan on getting that second sight release because that second sight release looks nice. Um, which which one was announced first? Dark Sky. So I think the Dark Sky is the one that I have coming. The Steel Book. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes out March second. I so. didn't get the Steel Book of that. I just got the standard release of that. Um, it's only um, $5 difference on Amazon. So, but anyway, so I've got those on order. I've got, um, true romance. I picked up the 4k of that on self, like limited edition to steelbook for $28. Um, Ooh, I have the box set of that that came out. Nice. And then I also got, um, speaking of wrestling, I pre-ordered hitman heart wrestling with shadows that vinegar syndrome put out. I saw out. that. They're, 
Yeah. That, Which Gary um, did I think the I've artwork for. Yeah, I think I've seen that. Um, the movie, though. I think I've seen it before. I don't remember mm-hmm. where. Um, I finally did find the My Bloody Valentine. It is a... It's just a bloody variant. Like, um, I don't know if it's like a, it's like pink with, with red blood streaks through it. It was the other version. It was 40 bucks. And I remember it sold out like the day of, um, yeah. If anyone does not have that soundtrack though, like even the music that Zaza did for it, it's, it's not your usual, um, you're not going to hear, you know, a bunch of, you know, like Friday the 13th stuff on it. It's very, very laid back and, um, I guess ambient would be the word yeah. for it. There's, there, there's, there's some like bits in it. Yeah. There's a, you know, and then they've got the whole, when they leave the mine and stuff and are going to go meet at the bar and everything, it's got that, you know, that the, the fucking like, music. Yeah. That's in there too. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of the music, there's a lot of elements to it, but the stuff for the horror stuff when they're in the mine is like, I wonder if you were to throw other music behind it, how effective this movie would be. So, I mean, it's another one where the, the score is just as important as what was filmed. So, yeah. Yeah. So any closing remarks or anything, Sean? I think, no, this movie's a classic. Like anybody that, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's extremely easy to find. Um, probably streaming someplace right now for free because it's February. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's, I know that the remake is on shutter right now. I think it was just, just showed up. So, okay. Um, yeah. And the remake's really good too. I think I'm going to shut this off and I'm going to go watch it right now. Okay. Well, happy Valentine's day to all of our listeners. And until next time, take care. <laughs> Once upon a time, on a sad valentine, in a place known as Annie Mine, a legend began every woman and man would always remember the time. And those who remained were never the same. You could see the fear in their eyes. Once every year, as the 14th draws near, there's a hush all over the town For the legend they say on a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago Twenty years came and went and everyone spent the 14th in quiet regret And those still alive know the secret survives In the darkness that looms in the night For oh, the legend they say on a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago this little town when the 14th comes round there's a silence and fear in the air remember the morn that the legend was born all the shock and the horror was there or the legend they say on a valentine's day is a curse that'll live on and on 
as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago.